Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a bi-weekly podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. Taylor, what do we have up for today? Today we're going to be talking about the William Barr press conference that was held just an hour before the release of the Mueller report. Now, what William Barr is doing in this press conference is getting ahead of any possible objections to this report, doing something that we've talked about in the podcast prior called inoculation, and he's really defending President Trump. Now, as he does this, he's already framing the idea in a person's mind before they actually have a chance to read the report. And there may be people who don't read it at all who will only listen to Barr's comments and the way in which he selectively frames the questions and comments that are you know, uh, guided to him in this press conference. Now, what you're going to hear here right at the very beginning is that Barr is going to be framing his control of the situation as just following regulations. Hey, this is just his job. And, you know, how he sees his job in in releasing this and knowing that it would be illegal for anyone else to get the support other than him. So let's take a listen to this first part of the Bar press conference. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for being here this morning. As you know, on March 22nd, Special Counsel Robert Mueller concluded his investigation into matters related to Russian attempts to interfere in our 2016 presidential election, and he submitted his confidential report to me pursuant to department regulations. As I said during my Senate confirmation hearing and since, I'm committed to ensuring the greatest degree possible of transparency concerning the special counsel's investigation consistent with the law. At 11 this morning, I'm going to transmit copies of the public version of the special counsel's report to the chairman and ranking members of the Senate and House Judiciary Committees. The Department of Justice will also make the report available to the American people by posting it on the department's website after Uh, it has been delivered to Congress. I'd like to make a few comments today on the report. Before I do that, I want to thank uh, Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein for joining me here today and for his assistance and counsel throughout this process. Rod, as you know, has served at the department for nearly 30 years with dedication and distinction, and it's been a great privilege and pleasure for me to work with him since my confirmation. Uh, He had well-deserved plans to step back from public service that were interrupted by my asking him uh, to help in my transition. 
Rod has been an invaluable partner, and I am grateful that he is willing to help me and has been able to see the special counsel's investigation through to its conclusion. Thanks, Rod. Thank you. Yeah. I'd also like to thank special counsel Robert Mueller for his service and the thoroughness of his investigation, particularly his work exposing the nature of Russia's attempts to interfere in our electoral process. As you know, one of the primary purposes of the spe special counsel's investigation was to determine whether President Trump's campaign or any individual associated with it conspired or coordinated with the Russian government to interfere in the 2016 election. Volume one of the special counsel's report describes the results of that investigation. As you will see, the special counsel's report states that his Quote, investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. I am sure that all Americans share my concern about the efforts of the Russian government to interfere in our presidential election. As the special counsel report makes clear, the Russian government sought to interfere in our election process. But thanks to the special counsel's thorough investigation, we now know that the Russian operatives who perpetrated these schemes did not have the cooperation of President Trump or the Trump campaign, or the knowing assistance of any other American for that matter. That is something that all Americans can and should be grateful to have confirmed. And so now we see him start off by talking about how the special counsel submitted that report uh, pursuant to department regulations. Like Taylor said, he's starting out right here framing this entire thing as he's just following regulations and that, you know, nobody else has seen this report because of the rules. He's just a rule follower. It's out of his hands. Um, and then he talks about how, you know, it's all consistent with how um, he framed his his uh, his job during a Senate confirmation hearing, and how he's committed to the greatest degree of transparency. That's consistent with the law. So right here, you know, there have been a lot of questions up until this speech, up until this moment, that Barr was being maybe a little, you know, opaque and hiding information and sort of keeping this document from the American people. And so this is his point to sort of defend himself by saying, I'm just following the rules. Um, when in reality, there is a lot of human agency right here. And, you know, he has a lot of power to decide, you know, what is the rule and what isn't. And, um, you know, he sort of conveniently, you know, leaves out any possible, you know, points of, of human agency in any of this. Right. And he says here that he is committed to the greatest degree of transparency. That's consistent with the law. And so, you know, this is the same double message that we have been getting when we did our podcast just a few episodes ago on the Republican response to the Mueller report and what they were talking about. They're blaming it all on this is simply the law, right? We would never, you know, insist that someone go and break the law. And so because this is the law, we can't do this. And so what Barr is saying is, hey, I'm transparent, but I'm going to give you a report that is, you know, just full of black marks, you know, all over the pages of things in which you can't read. 
And then he's going to say, well, that's because of the law. But let's remember, this is the highest lawmaker in the land. This is the attorney general. And how is it then that he is not able to release this detail? Now, what happens at the very beginning here is that Barr is really taking control, setting a framework. I want you to pay special attention to his tone, his way of speaking. It's very slow. It's very measured. It can, in fact, probably put you to sleep if you listen to it for a while, and he kind of wants it to be that way. He wants to come across as this very sturdy, reliable person and who is just giving you the facts. I'm just a person who is following the law, and this is just what I am doing. But, of course, within his words, there's a lot of persuasion that is happening that is going on. But he's very good at this just-the-facts type of mentality. So what he starts off with is thanking Rod Rosenstein, and he starts off by using Rosenstein as a shield, by just having him on stage and just introducing him, you know, implying then that Rosenstein is a validator for what he is about to say. Now, Rosenstein is standing there. If you watch the video of this, super stiff. He looks like a scarecrow. A, a scarecrow, just not moving at all, trying to be super stoic. And it's so obvious how, how robotic he is because he doesn't want to move a muscle. He just wants to sit there and, you know, not show any expression at all. And you have to really wonder why is it that Rosenstein is so very stiff like that? You know, what is that all about? And why is it that Barr is thanking him, you know, in this way? And then Barr goes on to thank Mueller. And he says, you know, as you will see, that's a, a lead in, right? That's establishing some expectancy. The special counsel's report, quote, does not establish, okay, end quote, that the Trump campaign did not uh, conspire or coordinate with the Russian government uh, in its election interference activity. It says that it doesn't establish it. But then, of course, Barr goes on to say, well, that means that the, you know, Trump campaign does, didn't collude. And then he has this really great gem there at the end, you know, where he says um, that is something that all Americans can and should be grateful to have confirmed. Now, does this sound familiar? Because this is the same thing we heard from the Republicans a couple of episodes ago that was just filled, filled to the brim with persuasion. You know, it's almost as though Barr is taking the same type of messages and he's giving that same type of repeated message over and over and over again, just in a little bit of a different light. Yeah, you really need to pay attention to the careful wording here because, you know, he is a legal professional and he knows that the vast majority of people listening to this right here are not legal professionals and don't understand the technicalities and the very, you know, specific way that he's speaking. So when he says something like, uh, like there was no evidence found by the special counsel of collusion that that's a loaded like phrase legally that a the council found no evidence does not mean that there was no collusion and then b that the special counsel says in its report we now know because we now read the report remember you couldn't read the report before he gave this but we now know that the special counsel explicitly stated that they weren't looking for collusion. They were looking for coordination and conspiracy. So when Barr says that the special counsel found no evidence of collusion, that's a very misleading phrase and not at 
all with the special counsel's report. Well, technically, yes, the report did not find evidence of collusion. That's very misleading about what the report actually does in fact say. And then when we get to the part where he says that the report found that no American knowingly conspired with Russia or knowingly coordinated or knowingly cooperated, that's very interesting because it does not rule out the fact that Americans could have unknowingly conspired or that the Trump campaign could have unknowingly cooperated or, you know, colluded with the Russians. So there's a lot here that he leaves out or he speaks very evasively, but you can't know that unless you actually read the report, which you couldn't do <laughs> until an hour after the speech. Exactly. And, and that whole point there where, hey, the report hasn't been released, it's about to be released, and he gets to make these points before actually releasing it. You know, why would he do that? What is it that he's trying to show here? You know, he's trying to get ahead of it, but for what purpose? Well, it has to be a political purpose. You know, there's no legal purpose for doing it, supposedly. So why exactly would he want to have this big um, press conference, you know, with all this tension in the air about, you know, when are we going to get to read this thing? You know, that, you know, supposedly the conclusions have already been done. And so what happened is that, you know, Republicans had a number of weeks, really, to get out ahead of this, to frame it, to put the idea in everyone's minds of exactly what it want, what, you know, it did say and what it didn't say. You know, uh, Trump was able to go out on the campaign trail and really, you know, hammer in that point and, you know, talk about how everyone owes him an apology and so on and so forth. Why is it exactly that they would do that? Well, again, this is a political act. And we have to remember that Barr is acting here, at least partially, politically. And he makes it seem as though he's not. He's just transparent. He's consistent with the law. It was part of his confirmation hearing. I'd like to thank Rod Rosenstein. He's been here for 30 years. And so, it, you know, that implies that it must not be political because 30 years. And yet there's all of this running underneath it in, in how it's actually being presented. So let's get to the next part of this clip here where Barr's really going to be talking about uh, more about the Russians and the innocence of Americans in the Trump campaign. And he goes into a particular pattern. Let's take a listen to this one. The special counsel report outlines two main efforts by the Russian government to influence the 2016 election. First, the report details efforts by the Internet Research Agency, a Russian company with close ties to the Russian government, to sow social discord among American voters through disinformation and social media operations. Following a thorough investigation of this disinformation campaign, the special counsel brought charges in federal court against several Russian nationals and entities for their respective roles in this scheme. Those charges remain pending, and the individual defendants remain at large. But the special counsel found no evidence that any American including anyone associated with the Trump campaign, conspired or coordinated with the Russian government or the IRA in this illegal scheme. Indeed, as the report states, quote, the investigation did not identify evidence that any U.S. person knowingly or intentionally coordinated with the IRA's interference operation, unquote. Put another way, the special counsel found no collusion 
by any Americans in IRA's illegal activities. Second, the report details efforts by the Russian military officials associated with the GRU, the Russian Military Intelligence Organization, to hack into computers and steal documents and emails from individuals associated with the Democratic Party and Hillary Clinton's campaign for the purpose of eventual, eventually publicizing these documents. Following a thorough investigation of these hacking operations, the special counsel brought charges in federal court against several Russian military officers for their respective roles in these illegal hacking operations. Those charges are still pending and the defendants remain at large. But again, the special counsel's report did not find any evidence that members of the Trump campaign or anyone associated with the campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in these hacking operations. In other words, there was no evidence of the Trump campaign collusion with the Russian government's hacking. And so here you see Barr starting with a pattern. He starts by describing the events that led to you know, the Russian hacking and dissemination of harmful information, and then pivots to the Trump campaign and how they're innocent. And there was, in other words, no collusion. And then he goes back to the Russians and all the bad things that they did and how they're still at large. But the Trump campaign, there was no evidence of any knowledgeable collusion. Um, and then he says it again. In other words, there is no evidence of the Trump campaign's collusion with the Russian government's hacking. Why does he find the need here to rephrase everything? In other words, no collusion. Well, it goes right back to Trump's slogan, right? No collusion, no obstruction. And it draws back all those thoughts in everyone's mind, even though we now know that the Mueller report was not looking for, quote unquote, collusion to begin with. That's right. And we know that what is it that really gets something to stick in a person's brain? Repetition. Now, something will stick in a person's brain if it's repeated even if they don't necessarily believe that thing. They hear it enough times and it keeps being repeated and it's ex exposing them to that idea again and again and again and then people start to believe it, unfortunately. Now, what we hear here is that he says what the report actually said and then he kind of puts it in his own words, which is interesting, right? Because it's like, well, wouldn't you just go with the wording of the report? Why is it that you need to then interpret the report for us to say something that is substantially similar to what is actually there? And as he is going back through it, you know, again and again and again, he also mentions the Trump campaign, right? Why is it that he needs to reinforce the Trump campaign, the Trump campaign, the Trump campaign? Why is he not talking about Donald Trump? Why is he not talking about the president's family, uh, you know, Jared Kushner and, you know, so forth? Why is it that he is, you know, not mentioning some of Trump's other business enterprises? He leaves all of this, you know, conveniently out of it. And what are they really talking about? Just the Trump campaign. Now, I just wonder, does that actually include Donald Trump, you know, within it? Or is it just the people around him? Trump campaign. You got to wonder how exactly that's, you know, being defined. So we hear him re repeating it again and again and again, getting that repetition, getting that signal inside of a person's mind 
to the point where that's all that they hear. No collusion, no obstruction, no collusion, no obstruction. And then at this point, we haven't even read the report. And yet already when people read it, what is it they're going to hear? They're going to hear that. And he has the opportunity now to selectively quote from it. Okay, selectively take little parts out of it and quote those things and not talk about the rest of it that might be more damning. Now, in this next clip here, you're going to hear sort of the third prong to his, you know, Russia's bad, Trump campaign good. In other words, it all means this. And this time he sort of says that it all means this grand summary of the entire report that he'll explain. So take a listen. The special counsel's investigation also examined Russian efforts to publish stolen emails and documents on the Internet. The special counsel found that after the GRU disseminated some of the stolen documents to entities that it controlled, DC Leaks and Guccifer II, the GRU transferred some of the stolen materials to WikiLeaks for publication. WikiLeaks then made a series of document dumps. The special counsel also investigated whether any member or affiliate of the Trump campaign encouraged or otherwise played a role in these dissemination efforts. Under applicable law, publication of these types of material would not be criminal unless the publisher also participated in the underlying hacking conspiracy. Here, too, the special counsel's report did not find that any person associated with the Trump campaign illegally participated in the dissemination of the materials. Finally, the special counsel investigated a number of links or contacts between the Trump campaign officials and individuals connected with the Russian government during the 2016 presidential campaign. After reviewing these contacts, the special counsel did not find any conspiracy to violate U.S. law involving Russian-linked persons and any persons associated with the Trump campaign. So that's the bottom line. After nearly two years of investigation, thousands of subpoenas, hundreds of warrants and witness interviews, the special counsel confirmed that the Russian government sponsored efforts to illegally interfere with the 2016 presidential election, but did not find that the Trump campaign or other Americans colluded in those efforts. Now, here we hear Barr linking it all together. He's painted the picture for us. He's talked about all of the evil things that the Russians have done, all of their organizations, the organizational names. And then at the perfect point, He says, so that's the bottom line. And he changes his voice inflection. Now the listener is less focused on the questions about the individual facts and circumstances. And they're now focused on that big picture, right? That's the bottom line. Here's what we're really talking about. And when someone says that, so that's the bottom line, you know, you have to understand that what they're doing is they're giving you a conclusion statement. And it's like, well, don't even worry about all that detail there in the middle. You don't need to worry about all of that stuff. Just here's all that you need to know. And, you know, you can hear it from me, you know, William Barr. And he says, going back to the numbers, after nearly two years of investigation, thousands of subpoenas, hundreds of warrants, 
Does this sound familiar? This is the same thing that the Republicans did in that press conference that we did a couple of episodes ago. 24 foreign countries, so-and-so many FBI agents working 18 hours a day, going into these numbers and really using that to reinforce their points. And, you know, he put a number to something that sounds more legitimate. He said the special counsel confirmed that the Russian government sponsored efforts to illegally interfere in the election, which, by the way, is an important point. You know, when we're talking about this idea of Bob Mueller's investigation, we have to remember something. Bob Mueller did find things of substance. There were people indicted. There were people, you know, charged with crimes through Mueller's investigation. And so here Barr is acknowledging that they did find that the Russian government sponsored this. But here he's flipping it around. But what they didn't find, but they did not find that the Trump campaign or other Americans colluded in those efforts. Now, I have to wonder if he, as he keeps saying this, but other or other Americans, who exactly is he talking about there? And why does he keep saying it in that particular way? So why is it the Trump, Trump campaign or other Americans? And why not just the Trump campaign? Um, is he trying to say that, you know, there was no one else that was found. It's just a little bit odd in how and how he says it. It's very vague, and I'm not quite sure exactly what it means, um, but it is an odd phrasing. Yeah, it's really interesting, you know, this section right here. Um, at the beginning, he, he says that um, the, you know, the Russians participated in the hacking and disseminating of the stolen documents, but then he pivots to how, you know, this applies to applicable law and how that defines how the Trump campaign's participation is not a crime. So if you sort of read between the lines there, you can see that, oh, the Trump campaign or, or other Americans participated in the dissemination of stolen documents, but because of a legal technicality, that's not actually a crime. But the way he says it, is to sort of say that, oh, well, you know, there was no criminal activity among the Trump campaign, and that's the end of that. When in reality, the Trump campaign or other Americans may have helped uh, release stolen documents, which is maybe not technically a crime, but is still really ethically terrible and something that, you know, should have been investigated and should be released to the American people and have their attention brought to um, because these people are now running our government. Um, it's just sort of interesting how he sort of does some verbal jujitsu to get around actually, you know, making a much stronger point um, that maybe, you know, should have been made there. So in the final clip, uh, before we get to the question section of this press conference, we're going to hear Barr sort of sum it all up again um, even more. And he sort of leads with this no collusion um, statement again. Um, and then goes back to using Deputy Attorney General uh, Rod Rosen Rosenstein as a crutch. So take a listen to this. After finding no underlying collusion with Russia, the special counsel's report goes on to consider whether certain actions of the president could amount to obstruction of the special counsel's investigation. As I addressed in my March 24th letter, the special counsel did not make a traditional prosecutorial judgment regarding this allegation. 
Instead, the report recounts 10 episodes involving the President and discusses potential legal theories for connecting those activities to the elements of an obstruction offense. After carefully reviewing the facts and legal theories outlined in the report, and in consultation with the Office of Legal Counsel and other department lawyers, the Deputy Attorney General and I concluded that the evidence developed by the Special Counsel is not sufficient to establish that the President committed an obstruction of justice offense. Although the Deputy Attorney General and I disagreed with some of the Special Counsel's legal theories and felt that some of the episodes examined did not amount to obstruction as a matter of law, we did not rely solely on that in making our decision. Instead, we accepted the Special Counsel's legal framework for purposes of our analysis and evaluated the evidence as presented by the Special Counsel in reaching our conclusions. In assessing the President's actions discussed in the report, it is important to bear in mind the context. President Trump faced an unprecedented situation. As he entered into office and sought to perform his responsibilities as president, federal agents and prosecutors were scrutinizing his conduct before and after taking office and the conduct of some of his associates. At the same time, there was relentless speculation in the news media about the president's personal culpability. Yet, as he said from the beginning, there was, in fact, no collusion. And as the special counsel's report acknowledges, there is substantial evidence to show that the President was frustrated and angered by his sincere belief that the investigation was undermining his presidency, propelled by his political opponents, and fueled by illegal leaks. Nonetheless, the White House fully cooperated with the Special Counsel's investigation, providing unfettered access to campaign and White House documents, directing senior aides to testify freely, and asserting no privilege claims. And at the same time, the President took no act that in fact deprived the Special Counsel of the documents and witnesses necessary to complete his investigation. Apart from whether the acts were obstructive, this evidence of non-corrupt motives weighs heavily against any allegation that the President had a corrupt intent to obstruct the investigation. All right, so here we hear about the president's feelings. We hear about how Donald Trump was frustrated and he was angry about how it all been fueled by illegal leaks and there was no privilege asserted. You know, in this bar also talks about how Trump's personal counsel had actually reviewed the report that was going to be released before it was actually released. And as the president's personal counsel reviewed the report, then they decided not to assert any privilege in allowing it to, to go through. And so now Barr gets to say that again. Well, they didn't assert any privilege after they reviewed it. And so we hear this you know, point here where he says the special counsel, and he emphasizes this point, the special counsel did not make a special prosecutorial judgment. In other words, the special counsel didn't decide whether Trump had broken the law or not. That's important to know. Instead, what here we hear Barr saying, the deputy attorney general and I concluded, and remember Rod Rosenstein is still standing there just like he's got, you know, he's on a board or something. He's as stiff as a board. <laughs> the deputy attorney general and I concluded that this didn't amount to obstruction. So Trump's own own attorney general 
and Rod Rosenstein, who was just doing his best not to let anything out, no you know, uh, nonverbal leaks, concluded that this didn't amount to instruction, uh, didn't amount to obstruction. And then, you know, before releasing it, they showed it to the president to make sure, hey, you know, is this is this OK? And, you know, let's understand the context here. You know, uh, everyone was scrutinizing Trump. There was relentless skepticism in the news media. And he kept saying no collusion. He kept saying it and he was frustrated and he was angry. And we just all need to remember this. <laughs> this, this, this is what he's saying here. Yeah, it's really funny the way that he tries to humanize Trump here by saying, oh, Trump only did those bad things that would have been otherwise obstructing justice. But he did it because he was frustrated and angry that people were scrutinizing him, um, which is, you know, sort of a, an interesting argument and defense of President Trump. And it certainly does try to humanize him, though, because he does go into detail um, and try and talk about, you know, the president's feelings, which he describes as sincere, which is a little bit of mind reading, but um, that's there. And the whole time he's using these phrases, um, talking collectively about Rod Rosenstein and him um, having these legal opinions and coming to these conclusions together using words like our and we um sort of saying that his opinions that he's expressing right now are not just his own, but are those of him and other people, including Rod Rosenstein, which is, you know, an interesting way to do it because it diffuses responsibility or maybe adds credibility to his own opinions, his own decisions. Um, so now he's no longer solely responsible for these decisions that are being made right now. It's sort of him maybe passing the buck a little bit. And so, you know, it's really interesting the way that he does this, of course, repeating that no collusion phrase again, even though that's, again, that's not even in the report. And, you know, it's really sort of a, a, a legal and spirited defense of President Trump. Now, in this next section, Barr concludes his prepared comments and now we get to everyone's favorite part, the questions. What is it everyone going to going to say and ask, you know, Barr here? And actually he says, I'm going to take a few questions. And he does, in fact, only take a few questions, um, as we'll see at the end. And um, what's really interesting, whenever you hear someone who has all of these prepared remarks and then they are about to answer questions, is that you'll see that they will go a little bit off script but it will tell you how much of it they had rehearsed and how much of it that they are um, just, you know, speaking extemporaneously right from that get go. Yeah, you're going to hear them get pretty agitated and, and sort of get off script here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's hilarious. So we're going to hear this. And, um, you know, starting from the very beginning, um, this person's really going to be be asking one of the most important questions here. So let's listen to this and let's hear how Barr handles it. Once again, I'd like to thank you for being here, and I will now have a few questions. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, we don't have the report in hand, so could you explain for us the special counsel's articulated reason for not reaching a decision on obstruction of justice, and if it had anything to do with the department's longstanding guidance on not indicting a sitting president, and you say you disagreed with some of his legal theories. What did you disagree with him on? Um, the, I, I, I'd leave it to 
his description in the report, the special counsel's own articulation of, of why he did not want to make a determination as to whether or not there was an obstruction of fence. But I will say that when we met with him, uh, Deputy Attorney General uh, Rosenstein and I met with him along with Ed O'Callaghan, uh, who is the principal associate deputy. On March 5th, we specifically asked him about the OLC opinion and whether or not he was taking the position that he would have found a crime but for the existence of the OLC opinion. And he made it very clear several times that that was not his position. He, he was not saying that but for the OLC opinion he would have found a crime. He made it clear that he had not made the determination that there was a crime. Given that, uh, why did you and Mr. Rosenstein feel the need you had to take it to the next step to conclude that there was no crime, especially given that DOJ policy? Well, the very prosecutorial function and all our powers as prosecutors, including the power to convene grand juries and the compulsory process that's involved there, is for one purpose and one purpose only. It's determined yes or no. Was alleged conduct criminal or not criminal? That is, that is our responsibility and that's why we have the tools we have. And we don't go through this process just to collect information and throw it out to the public. We collect this information, we use that compulsory process for the purpose of making that decision. And because uh, the special counsel did not make that decision, we felt the department had to. And that was a decision by uh, me and the deputy attorney general. And so here we get to the question and answer part. And, you know, Barr sort of, he keeps his composure for the first couple here, but you can sort of see him start, you know, sweating a little bit. And he, the first tell that, you know, he's a little uncomfortable is when he starts bringing in Rod Rosenstein and uh, the deputy associate attorney general um, into all of this now. So he's now using other people's validation even more so, like adding another person to to, to validate his, you know, situation and his decision making and so and so now he's sort of deflecting the blame even further um, which is just a, an interesting observation here I think for a lot of people it might add some credibility to what he's saying I think to people who oppose him it might be like oh now he's trying to scapegoat even more people um, and he's really under pressure and let's listen to the question that he was asked and how he actually answered it. Because right at that very first question, he didn't answer the question. You know, the question was, you know, did the special counsel's recommendation have anything to do with that idea of not indicting a sitting president? And then the second part of the question was, what did you disagree with him on? And of course, he completely doesn't answer the second part of the question. And in the first part, you know, what he says is, you know, I, I leave it to his description in the report. The special counsel's own articulation, kind of saying like, you just look at the report, which of course he redacted and, you know, we're not going to release fully anyway and you can only view it after this press conference, but I'm just going to leave it, you know, to the report. And then he goes into this story. Now let's remember that if this were a court of law, this would be hearsay. He goes into the story about, you know, the OLC opinion and saying how, um, you know, if it wasn't for the OLC opinion and what the special counselor was not saying was this. 
And he was saying that he had not made the determination that there was a crime. Well, now, to a person who, again, is just listening to the broad message here, that might sound like what Bob Mueller actually came to was saying, hey, the president did not commit a crime. But we just heard Barr saying that actually the special counsel's job was not to, or at least what the special counsel chose not to do, was not to actually say whether the president committed a crime or not. Okay, this was actually the conclusion that Barr and Rod Rosenstein and perhaps others in the office had reached. Okay, so when when Barr is saying here, you know, uh, Mueller had had not made the determination that there was a crime. He's just speaking literally that Mueller didn't make that determination. That's different from him saying that Mueller said that there was no crime, that Mueller had make that made this prosecutorial judgment that there was no crime. And then as we hear this follow-up here, right, what we're looking for is a yes or no. Was it criminal or not? Okay, it's a compulsory process that we have as prosecutors. Well, you know, again, reading between the lines, what he's saying is, hey, we haven't found that there was an outright crime here. But as Alex pointed out earlier, does that mean that there wasn't an ethics violation? Does that mean that the person might have acted in a way that perhaps we would want to know at know about um, as the people voting? Well, maybe that's true. But then again, maybe that's within that um, redacted part of it. And so, you know, he says, well, because the special counsel did not make that decision, this is him explaining why he went on to make the prosecutorial argument that Trump did not commit the crime. Um, He said, we felt that the department had to. Now, again, did the department have to or could they have just released the report on its own? Um, Well, politically, if Barr, again, appointed by Trump to be the attorney general, Politically, if Barr says Trump did not commit a crime, you know, perhaps Trump even alluded to this is how I would like for it to go down, although certainly there's, you know, we don't have evidence of this. Um, Politically, that's a lot better for Trump. So why did they have to do it? He doesn't exactly go in. Yeah, this, this whole question and answer period is really sort of this like softball, straw man, banana republic question and answer moment because nobody outside of William Barr and Rosenstein have read the report. <laughs> so, so these reporters who are asking this question get, are just asking blind questions and he can answer without really being heavily challenged. Right. And even when he gets these light challenges to just explain his thinking a little bit more, he's able to just obfuscate and dodge and nobody can call him out for it. So, you know, if you think about it, right, whether Barr is going to hold a press conference before or after he releases the report and he has the power to decide when the report gets released, of course, this is how he's going to set it up. And it can only serve to, you know, keep him out of the firing squad. Um, So let's get to the next uh, two questions here. Um, to see, you know, sort of when Barr sort of starts losing his cool. Um, Mr. Attorney General, it's not just Democrats who have questioned some of the process here. A Republican appointed judge on Tuesday said you have, quote, created an environment that has caused a significant part of the American public to be concerned about these redactions. You've cleared the president on obstruction. The president is fundraising off of your comments about spying. And here you have remarks that are quite generous to the president, including acknowledging his feelings and his emotions. 
So what do you say to people on both sides of the aisle who are concerned that you are trying to protect the president? Well, actually, the, the statements about his, his, his uh, sincere beliefs are, for, are, are recognized in the report that there was substantial evidence for that. So I'm not sure what your basis is for saying that I am being generous to the president. You face an unprecedented situation. It just seems like there's a lot is, of effort to say, to, to go out of your way to acknowledge how this Well, is there, is there another precedent for it? No, but it's unusual. Okay, so unprecedented is an accurate description, isn't it? Yes, but okay. what do you say to people who are Eric, concerned that you're trying to protect the president? Eric. Eric. There's a lot of public interest in the absence of the special counsel and members of his team. Was he invited to join you up on the podium? Why is he not here? This is his report, obviously, that you're talking about today. No, it's not. It's a report he did for me as the attorney general. He is required under the regulation to, pr to provide me with a confidential report. I'm here to discuss my response to that report and my decision entirely discretionary to make it public, since these reports are not supposed to be made public. That's what I'm here to discuss. Propriety for you to come out and sort of what appears to be sort of spinning the report the before public the public gets a chance to read it. Okay. Thank, Thank you me. very much. Thank you. <laughs> so you sort of get the point. He just he says done yeah. and walks away from that last question there. And you know this whole thing right here is is really you know his way to um to not have Mueller talk about his report. He's sort of, you know, my favorite moment of those last questions was where, you know, Barr is sort of like, like, I didn't even have to release this report to you all, but I'm doing it out of the kindness of my own heart. You know, right. <laughs> it's confidential. Right. He did this for me and nobody else. But now I'm going to make the decision and, you know, throw you all a bone. It's very <laughs> Trumpian. You know, he, he, he really gets gets into that. You know, so you know, the question was, hey, why is Bob Mueller here today? This is his report, but he did it for me. You know, I made it discretionary. So this is that that dominance frame. He's saying, hey, he's in charge. And all these questions that he's answering are just him being a nice, you know, kind person. Um, so let's break down, you know, a couple, a couple more of these, you know, so why are you acknowledging the president's feelings and emotions? Well, you know, the president's sincere beliefs are mentioned in the report. So there's substantial evidence in that report. So I'm not sure what you're, what you're talking about here, what your basis is here. Again, they haven't read the report, so they have no idea what's in it. And he's just saying, well, the president's feelings are mentioned in the report. And so based on that, you really don't have a basis. They haven't read the report. So <laughs> that's that's a really important point here that we that we come back to here, which is that he keeps referring to the report as if they have read it, but they haven't read the report just yet. And then, you know, at the end, right, the question was, hey, was it was it improper for you to come out and, you know, spin this and discuss the report before the public had a chance to read it? And he says, done, done. And he shuts off the question. And right after saying, by the way, his, his, his right, his last phrase before that question was, that's what I'm here to discuss. So it was obviously something about that question that he, you know, just found, you know, that he actually didn't want to answer. And right at that moment, you know, Rosenstein smiles and, you know, kind of looks relieved that he doesn't have to stand there like a statue anymore. And everyone walks away and, you know, they say, they say, thank you. Um, so you know, that's that's what we have coming out of that. And all of these questions, of course, this is such an instructive part of all of it, because we know that Barr's prepared comments will have been rehearsed and gone over and edited and really thought about multiple times. And he has practiced his delivery. 
But how does he actually deal with it when someone is asking him questions? Well, this is just like, you know, the Sarah Sanders news conference or the, you know, the press conference, um, the White House press conference. Like, what is it that is actually being answered in a thorough way? It's like there's these short answers and then just cutting off, you know, cutting to the point. Let's get on to the next thing and, you know, keep keep going on, even though you all don't know what we're really talking about here. All right. I think that's about all the time we've got for today. Head on over to our Patreon page. You can support us for as little as a cup of coffee to keep us on the air all the way up to our server costs so we can keep delivering episodes like this one to you every other week. Visit us at Subliminal Pod on Twitter and uh, our Facebook page. You can send us your questions, comments, things you want us to pay extra attention to next time. And of course, you can visit our website at www.subliminallycorrect.com and check out all of our episodes there and along with our special guests that we've had in the past. And we will talk to you in two weeks. 